This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, helping the people of the world to live healthy lives. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me. My guest today is Carly Hickey, founder of Advanced Care and Emergency Planning. This segment of The Wellness Prescription is intended to help individuals and their families plan and make decisions for the well-being of their families on behalf of someone else. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Claudia, for having me. Well, I thought we should start by letting listeners know what ACE planning or advanced care emergency planning is. An advanced care plan, it acts as a voice for the patient if they're not able to speak for themselves. And it's used as a decision-making guide for our substitute decision makers, whether they're a power of attorney or a substitute decision maker that's assigned by the province that they're in. And it can be really helpful during an emergency when something happens and a patient comes into the hospital and families are asked to make decisions on their loved one's behalf or guide care for the active care team. And so what an advanced care plan is, it's an interview that guides a discussion about quality of life, expectations of heroic measures, boundaries to pain and suffering, all taken into the context of the patient's current health status. And Lots of these conversations typically are happening at end of life, where there's already an active diagnosis in process. And my company, ACE Planning Company, is really trying to bring that conversation into effect during a healthy time, where it can be a lot easier to manage these discussions, and we have a lot more of a runway to change our health as needed to improve our elderly years. I thought it was interesting that this is something that most of us should be thinking about, but a lot of us don't, and we don't have a plan in place. When do people, like this this um, agreement, is it a legal or binding agreement? How does it work? It isn't legal or binding, which gives some flexibility for the decision maker at the time the illness or hospitalization occurs. And what really we want to do is make sure that these conversations between families have either started or have been had. And what we see is a lot more confidence for decision makers when they're asked to take on this responsibility of decision making during either critical illness or end of life. And so um, for that reason, it's not legal and binding. And the reason is when a treatment is offered, that's when consent has to be obtained. And usually the the consent is from a substitute decision maker, either a power of attorney or somebody next of kin or however it's determined through the SDM hierarchy. And when somebody, you know, reaches out to you, uh, you guys come up with an agreement and it's all documented, what does the client receive? So we have a one to two hour discussion depending on the client's needs. Some people say, I only want to discuss these three points and we keep it short. Um, And that's usually predetermined in an intake call. Um, During this intake call, I also do a pre-screening questionnaire to weed out the people that this may not be suitable for. So people who have healthcare anxiety or are very uncomfortable around topics of life support, end of life, et cetera, those sensitive topics, we may say, you know, this might not be a discussion worth having because we want to prevent harm whenever we can. After our discussion, I go through and I make notes and uh, transcribe our discussion into a full advanced care plan. It's around 20 pages, um, and it covers four different pillars of conversation. And 
Again, it's not legal or binding, but it's meant to be kept with your will, power of attorney, and other important documents so that that substitute decision maker can easily access them to know how to proceed with your care. And once that's decided, who who's carrying out this advanced care plan? So it would be usually ideally, it would be the power of attorney for personal care and or finance, depending on how the family or the client establishes who that individual is. Um, then it would come down to the substitute decision maker hierarchy. And that is in the Ontario Health Consent Act. And there are very strict guidelines as to who can qualify for this. But generally, it's spouse, next of kin, adult children, etc. And there are considerations to be made about age and ability to make decisions for somebody on their behalf. Um, so it comes down to that. But ideally, we really want you know, families talking about this, making sure that all siblings and children are on the same page and, and spouses, etc. Because we want to make sure that those wishes from the client are honored by everybody and that there's no disagreement during a very stressful time of life, which I have seen over and over again tends to occur. And, and that disagreement tends to be led by the grief that's experienced through and the surprise of, you know, a unexpected hospitalization, and then who do you take your grief and anger out on? It's the people that you love, your family. And so that's why we tend to see a lot of conflict um, when something like this happens. And so part of what I want to do is really try to get these conversations out in the open, help everyone be a little bit more comfortable with what's to come. You know, at some point, we don't know when, but our end of life will, uh, will come to us. And it's really our responsibility to make sure our families are ready for that, ready for a life without us. I think one of the questions that came to my mind first when I came across um, Ace uh, Planning Company is that do do clients normally come to you well in advance with, you know, let's say, for example, aging parents, or do most of the, do most clients come to you kind of closer to the end when decisions have to be made and is the goal to get those clients just planning way in advance? I think that caregivers of elderly individuals tend to be the ones to want to help prepare affairs and estates and get those things organized. So I would say it's the adult children who are trying to assist their uh, family. Um, I do think that there will be a greater push that we're going to see in from primary care with family physicians who are wanting to get this done. Because in March 2023 of this year, their decision making at end of life policy was amended to include advanced care planning. And so they will suggest to people who meet certain I don't want to say criteria, they don't use the words criteria, but when there is a trigger that identifies this person would be acceptable for a advanced care plan, they'll probably recommend it. And I'm happy to work with family health teams as a referral partner to get this done. And um, I just think that it's going to be the next steps of what we're seeing in healthcare. We spent the last 70 years building critical care to where it is now, and we know that we have this wider range uh, array of um, life support that we can offer individuals. And now we have to ask the questions, should we be doing this? Is it ethical? Is it in alignment with individuals' wishes? Uh, are, are we promoting empowerment and dignity at, at end of life? And sometimes where we have grief that's driving these decisions, it 
gives us pause to wonder if this is exactly what that individual would want. An advanced care plan can definitely help ease the burden for healthcare providers and family members involved. It, it does. It sounds like it's, um, you know, a conversation nobody really wants to have and it's probably not comfortable, but you're right. It's such an important conversation to have because you should know what your loved ones would like. You should be able, they should be able to express that well in advance instead of making decision at the last second when everybody's, you know, um, you know, grieving, worried, making rash decisions. It sounds like it's something that we should all have in place, probably from very early on um, in our adult lives. I think it's a, a, it's a great asset and a great gift to give your family members is pre-planning. Now, in terms of current policies, are there any in effect uh, requiring advanced care plans? There is a recommendation that people who meet certain triggers uh, that family physicians may recommend that they get one. It's part of the new standard of care to do so. And so you may find this conversation happening more often, um, especially where our healthcare system is changing a little bit. And we need to take a look at, you know, how we're providing care and where we can improve the delivery of care to individuals. So I think we're going to see more of this coming up. Now, when it comes to, you know, your experience, now I thought we should, you know, probably let listeners know what is your background? What is your history? What drove you to want to create ACE Care, um, ACE Planning Company? For sure. So uh, that is definitely a a factor here. (laughs) I was an ICU nurse for 10 years, and I've been a registered nurse with the College of Nurses of Ontario for 13. And um, two years into my practice as an ICU nurse, I was in a trauma center, uh, neurocenter. We did all kinds of different surgeries and provided uh, resuscitation care. I noticed that families would come in and the families who were prepared tended to have better grieving and better coping than families who were unprepared. And that's not to say that they weren't grieving at all or they weren't distressed, but their manner in which they were navigating that new emotion was a lot more confident. You know, they could have better decision making, more focus, and they just felt better about how care was going. Whereas families who were completely taken off guard were really surprised, devastated, lots of emotions, you know, very difficult uh, emotions to navigate. And we wanted to support everyone, you know, that we could. And so I realized that there was a need for this right away and thinking, you know, why are we escalating care for somebody who has had cancer four to six times with, you know, major metastatic cancer and, you know, their, their advanced age with a lot of comorbidities. And this isn't to minimize the importance of life. That's not it at all. But from a ICU nurse standpoint, sometimes where we are trying to restore life, I wondered if we were prolonging death. And so, what would make that better for me is to know exactly what the patient would have wanted and to know in their words, you know, I absolutely would want to live like this or I wouldn't want to live like this. And I don't think I'm the first in ICU or emergency care to, to wonder this. I, I know I've had a lot of questions with colleagues about this and I know that the literature is saying these conversations are being brought up. And um, so I think that's kind of where things are going. So it was my, my ICU experience uh, that, prompted this. And then I, we, my husband and I lost two family members, immediate family members in intensive care uh, just a few years ago. And that really 
we had the professional experience at the bedside, but now we had the personal experience as family members at the bedside. And I realized we definitely need more support uh, than than what we're offering. And I guess it's it's more like you need somebody to help you make these very, very important decisions. I mean, end of life decisions are not something that you want to think about for the, you know, let's say 80 to 85 years of, of the, you know, that most people are living. So it's something that you end up always having to make decisions at the last minute, and then it just adds more stress. And then you have the idea that maybe you made the wrong decision as a caregiver or as a family. At least this way, you have a plan in action, and then you have a way to execute, and you know what to expect. And so does the, the, does the person you're caring for. Absolutely. And, you know, it's what we used to do. We used to say, do you want to live on a ventilator? Check. Yes or no box. Do you want to live with a, a permanent feeding tube? Yes or no. But we know that some of these therapies are needed in the short term or and sometimes in the long term. And so we really have to dig deep and ask the questions, you know, what is your quality of life? What are the guiding principles around your life that make you you that are important and really tease out those aspects so that all of these other hypothetical situations can be guided by those principles instead of just yes or no. Because, you know, if somebody said, I never want to be on a ventilator. Well, if you go in for a hip replacement, you may need a ventilator for the general anesthesia that you're under. And so in that context, it might be important to be on a ventilator. And so, and that's again why this is not legal or binding because there is that decision-making component that can be changed to and given to the responsibility of, of the decision-maker. But at the very least, we know that if there was major long-term issues, then we can guide care in a way that's suitable for that individual. I really like the idea of being plan well-prepared in advance. When we come back, who needs an advanced care plan? This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Carly shared the benefits of having an advanced care plan in place. And it's definitely a conversation that no one wants to have, but it's a very important one to think about and to get organized about. Now, I know you talked about who needs an advanced care plan. Um and it makes the most sense, but it sounds to me like sometimes, you know, even if you're having to make a life decision, so even as an individual, you know, you mentioned previously having a hip replacement. Well, you know, unfortunately, there may come a situation where you need to be uh, cared for in a different way. Are you also referring to advanced care plan to be set in place for those situations where you're going in for a surgery, you may not know the outcome, you may need to be in a hospital longer than anticipated? Are these also the types of situations that an advanced care plan could be useful for? While we can't predict every medical outcome that occurs for individuals. There's a, an array of complications and, and things that can't always be accounted for. I do think that my experience does add to that, especially I, I tend to see where all the complications are. Again, not to predict what can occur, but 
knowing if we can't know every single detail or answer of a specific hypothetical question, knowing the person's wishes and quality of life and knowing that individual's values can really help be a guide to extrapolating an answer for the next steps um, when goals of care discussions are had. So I think that while it's not a black and white perfect protocol that we're following, we are getting a sense of exactly how this person would want to live if the disease presents itself in a way that we can't answer with a precise um, answer from the patient. So when somebody reaches out to you for your services, is it usually an individual meeting or can you call families together? Um, You know, in some instances, it's one person who's responsible for caregiving. But in other instances, like in my own family, I, you know, I have two sisters. I'm going to use me as an example. And the three of us have agreed that we are making decisions, let's say, for our parents together. So if we were to seek out your services, we would, would we come as a group and make the decision together as a group and everybody has to agree on the plan? That is usually determined in the introductory call. And I ask questions like, how open are you with your family? How difficult would it be to hear this type of information? Are you know are you on good terms with your partner? Sometimes maybe we have this one-on-one conversation at first to d- even determine your level of comfort or what it is you might want if, if you're not even sure what those answers are. But oftentimes what I do recommend is that a family member is invited to these discussions because at the end of the day, you can write these down, but the warm handover of that information, that warm transfer of knowledge to another individual can be really helpful. And so I would say that there are a lot of people who do this are pretty open and they tend to be want to share this with their with their partners or their families or their adult children. More recently, you know, I had uh, an adult client, um, we did a family meeting. And so that was really helpful because it was everyone was on the table and I think uh, was at the table, I should say. From a witness standpoint, you know, you want to make sure that whatever is shared can be corroborated. Uh, at the end of the day, I wouldn't want anyone coming to me with this advanced care plan that's written that says, who is this Carly person and why did they write this? Um, and so I definitely want people to feel, and I want the family to to know who I am to so that if mom goes into the hospital, they can call me up and say, Carly, I want some support here. What are my next steps? And because people freeze and panic in critical illness. And I know this because it's happened to my family. It's happened to me personally. And when you're talking to somebody, when a doctor is talking to you and you're at the bedside with these beeping monitors and these pumps that are going and overhead announcements and and alarms going off at the cardiac monitor, your ability to comprehend the information given to you as well as experience what you're experiencing, this crisis situation with your loved one, it gets more and more diluted. And, you know, I I remember thinking, wow, I had to mention this thing two or three times to this family before they heard it. And then as a family member, I understood why, you know? And so if I could, you know, extend any type of support during a hospitalization, I think this will come later as a second phase of this business. Um, I would really really like to do that. Sometimes we need that that person that we trust that may not always be that that nurse that you meet on the first day. If if you if this family has known me for some time and you know you go into a hospital and you're meeting doctors and nurses for the first time, you want somebody who knows mom and dad, who knew who who they were. And I hear this all the time. And I used to ask these questions, you know, tell me about your mom and dad. Tell me 
you know, what was your dad's favorite hobby as a way to get to know who I was caring for? Because that nurse, those healthcare providers are going to be part of that family story forever. And so you want to make sure that you, you understand who you're taking care of. Now, I would imagine that a lot of these meetings can be very emotional. So I'm imagining my own sisters and I, for example, it's just easier to re- for me to relate to that. We all have a different reaction to life and to life situations. So I can imagine that some of these meetings are emotional, maybe sometimes heated. The reason why I bring this up is just because I'd like listeners to know what to expect because a meeting like this, it's not like deciding where you're having dinner. This is you're deciding on somebody's well-being. So is it okay for, you know, um, the meeting t- for people in the meeting to be emotional? Uh, do you like for sometimes people to react or maybe arguments break out between family members? These are all normal reactions to grief and potential grief. I just want listeners to feel comfortable knowing that. Oh, absolutely. It's it's totally expected to to have strong feelings when we're discussing these things. And as a nurse for many years, I have developed those soft skills to be able to interpret the situation that's going on in in the company of other individuals and to to respond to it, you know, and have that factor of emotional intelligence to help guide the conversation in a way that, you know, might be, might take things into a warmer tone, but also give pause and give space for those feelings that are really heavy and to to help people work through them. And I, I think that one of the reasons people avoid these conversations is for the fear of that pain. I think that I'm very, I don't want to say I'm uniquely positioned where I have the professional experience, but I also have the experience as somebody who has has experienced unexpected loss. Um, as well, my mom, when I was in my 20s, was diagnosed with cancer. And so I also have that long-term illness factor of, of having a very close family member, you know, wonder if, if they're going to be here for a while. So I definitely give a lot of space for people to feel the feelings that they're having. I also think that family, when a conversation like this is guided by a professional, families tend to have less strong reactions. And they'll have strong reactions with each other, which I'm happy to manage. I've witnessed it at the bedside. And that's part of grieving. I always attribute it to loss and grieving because um, they're strong guides of, of behavior. But um, when you have somebody, you know, not necessarily refereeing, but when you have somebody involved in the conversation, it just changes the tone a little bit. And I can pick up on where I may need to advocate for perspectives in different ways. You know, I, I would never take sides here, but just try to help people figure out what they're feeling and how to, how to support the client ultimately. Somebody has reached out to you. You've come up with a, you know, advanced care plan. What next? So we, I say, can we schedule a discussion, a 20 minute conversation where I can ask you a few questions, answer your questions. And this is where I really want to do that pre-screening interview, just to make sure that we're all on the same page with what they can discuss. Um, I also assess technological literacy. So are you somebody that has access to Zoom? I can provide this advanced care planning service virtually all over Ontario because I'm a registered nurse within Ontario, but I do have a geographic boundary of of driving. And so 
if somebody is within that boundary, I can certainly make an in-house accommodation. But um, I do, I can go all the way up to, you know, northern, northern Ontario. So I do have to figure out, can this, does this person have access to technology? Do they have somebody that can help them get there, et cetera, if that's necessary? The next step is we book an appointment and we set aside about, usually about two hours, but I'll say, depending, I'll give an an approximation. It might be up to three hours if we're doing a family. So a couple in the same conversation, you know, maybe we'll secure three hours. And then following that discussion, I usually say each advanced care plan takes about 10 days to prepare. I will send it securely through an electronic medical record that I use. And then ask them for uh, feedback, and then I will complete the final draft and send it uh, as well as an invoice. So that's the process. I also send an onboarding email with an onboarding guide. So it explains all the next steps, how to get in contact with me if there's any questions, what we talk about, etc. Now, once that's all done and you have, you know, the client has the document in hand, technically they should give a copy to their lawyer or keep it with their will. Um, and then is there any other reason why they would need to have contact with you beyond this point? I usually say I leave all of my information, my contact information in that advanced care plan so that if there was ever somebody who came across this advanced care plan, say in 10 or 20 years, and they said, who is this Carly person? They know how to get in touch with me and and we can have a discussion. I also leave that information for any lawyers who may question this document. um, And I can say who was there, etc. As well as family health providers who may want additional context from me. Tell your decision maker where all of those important documents are, whether it's in a filing cabinet that has a key, or a safe or a bedside table, wherever it might be that can be accessible for the decision makers. And we also review who those decision makers are in these advanced care planning meetings. So it's not like at the point where the advanced care plan is being played out or administered, there there's no reason for the clients to reach out to you. Everything will be outlined. So healthcare workers, um, you know, family members, everything, they'll know exactly how to handle the situation. They should. And, and like I said before, it's really hard to predict every scenario. And there's sometimes some points in the conversation where patients don't really want to discuss, for instance, organ donation. They'll say, no, I don't want to discuss that. And there won't be necessarily an answer to say, Mr. Smith does want organ donation or does not want organ donation or is a registered organ donor, you know, it might be left out. So it depends. I would never push a conversation on on an individual who didn't want to discuss it. I tend to leave it up to them to decide what they want to include. And I know that's received some feedback where they say, well, you're the professional, you should guide this. But with the sensitivity of and the nature of this discussion and just the introduction of the service to the community, I don't want to be pushing anyone in any certain way. So for the most part, those questions should be answered. And if the questions aren't answered, then at the very least, we have some type of characteristics of that individual that can help guide that decision making. Carly, thank you so much for joining me today. If listeners do want to learn more about you, about Advanced Care Planning Company or schedule an appointment, how can they do that? You can find me on Instagram at Ace Planning uh, Ace Planning Co, I should say. And I have, that's pretty active with a lot of education. And you can also find me online at my website, www.aceplanningco.com. 
planningcoco.com. You can, and all of my socials are connected that way as well, but those are the two best routes. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiala or my website, ClaudiaMacchiala.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at Healthy Planet Canada dot com or go online to find a location nearest you.